Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Uh, For those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a bit, you may notice or may have noticed that I've been on a little bit of a hiatus as far as sharing audio versions of the forecast goes. I have them in written version most weeks. And recently, there's just been so much activity with moving and a lot of developments happening in my life and tons of tons of stuff, (laughs) tons of springtime abundance that I am taking a step back from weekly YouTube videos, but (laughs) Jupiter's entering Pisces and I couldn't help myself. I had to talk about it. So I'm back just for this week. Um, But if you really enjoy, you know, these forecasts, just know that you can always find them in written version at monarchastrology.com or get on my mailing list link in the notes uh, to receive the written versions to your email every week. The evolutionary astrology intensive that I teach, um, we just began again. We had our first class meeting yesterday and it was really electric to meet everybody. And some people mentioned that they found the class through the podcast or found me through being a guest on other podcasts. And that just really enlivened me to hear and had me remembering that every week, every episode, there could potentially be some new people here. And so I just want to personally welcome you if that's you. Um, and if you, you know, are returning, thank you for being here. I love and appreciate you. And I'm about to get into this week's forecast. There's a little bit of intro there, so I'll keep this short. And what we have ahead is the forecast for May 12th to May 18th. Enjoy. Hey, this is Sabrina Monarch of monarchastrology.com, bringing you the astrology forecast for May 12th to May 18th, 2021, where we're in eclipse season and Jupiter will enter Pisces. And I'm actually on a little bit of a brief hiatus from YouTube, still writing the forecasts. Um, and I announced the hiatus, not here, my apologies, but on social media. Uh, so on Instagram, Facebook, etc. Um, And the reason I'm on the hiatus is because I'm publishing a book. Uh, It's coming out this month. Uh, It's a fiction novel called The Garden of Sleeping Hammers. And I wanted to prioritize some time and space for putting the finishing touches on that, as well as simply, you know, I'm in a new city. I just moved again to another temporary spot. And so I just kind of needed a minute. However, um, while I wouldn't say that I'm back from this hiatus, I couldn't help myself. I really wanted to come on video for this particular week with Jupiter entering Pisces because I think it is a big, um, a big deal and something that I wanted to mark uh, with presence um, and with making a video. So I'm going to go ahead and read you um, what I wrote. For this week's forecast, you can find the written version at monarchastrology.com. And then I'll be sharing this to YouTube as well as Magic of the Spheres podcast, this audio version. Um, But I'll be adding extra commentary as I read uh, because, you know, we're here and sometimes more ideas come through in conversation. So first, if you're here, please like this video, subscribe if you're not already a subscriber subscriber and hit the notification bell so that you know when new videos come out. And at some point as you're watching, leave me a comment. Let me know what resonates with you, how your week is going, um, what stands out to you about this forecast or what you connect with. Um, I love to hear from you, so please don't be shy. So we're in the midst of eclipse season. We have a full moon eclipse approaching May 26th, and that will be a full moon in Sagittarius. So we'll have the moon on the south node, sun on the north node. And Jupiter enters Pisces this week. Venus links up with the north node of the moon. But the building toward the full moon is always a rising of energy and momentum. Um, Any full moon, not just an eclipse, like you always have energy building, um, emotions rising, right? 
um, and the full moon being this peak expression. So even though the full moon is just uh, one point of the lunar cycle, you really feel everything kind of rushing toward it. So the themes of the new moon come on early and build to that peak moment. Jupiter entering Pisces turns the radio dial way, 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 way up um, on matters of spirituality, peak experience, and love and unity consciousness. So that sense of oneness um, and you know, unitive or like religious experience. So, you know, what an opportunity really, um, to tap into that kind of feeling state, that kind of, uh, religious experience and Venus joining up with the North node in Gemini will incarnate a lot of love and connective experiences. So, um, I'm going to get into it in more detail, of course, but these are really big events. That's why I couldn't keep away from video this week. Um, eclipse season, however, so all of this is happening in the context of eclipse season. I think that's kind of the drama. Uh, that's the drama for us. Um, I love eclipses. I love the lunar nodes. The lunar nodes um, I've been working intimately with in natal charts and in my own chart since I was... Um, you know, beginning evolutionary astrology in 2012. And um, they're amazing teachers. In Vedic astrology, the North and South Node are represented by this karmic dragon, uh, the North Node being the head of the dragon, the South Node being the tail of the dragon. And I've found, you know, it's kind of like this force, this slippery background force of our ego. Um, and why we have the personality we have and why we, you know, play the particular characters in life that we're playing. And when we can get behind uh, just the ego and into the thing that's compelling the ego, that's where, you know, we have the soul um, and the ego is kind of like a house or a home or a car for the soul, so to say. And so the ego isn't this terrible thing that just needs to be fucking obliterated, excuse my language, but it's like a operating manual or an operating system. And so if we, if the ego is the bottom line for us, then we're in trouble because, um, we're going to try to grip onto it and control. Right. But the ego can be a more fluid thing that is adaptive. You know, like here's an example, like for me, I say every week in my podcast, like I'm an evolutionary astrologer and I'm a clairvoyant and I know I'm more than an astrologer. It's not like I don't have a hang up about giving myself that title because that neat packaging of my identity is a way to communicate to people what I'm doing. Um, and so I find that the ego can have that kind of like, well, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is my identity. Cool. Like it's an organizing principle. And so we can have ego constructs that we're lovable. We can have ego constructs um, that we're optimistic. We can have ego constructs that we're crabby and uh, have a repellent personality. You know, like there's any which way that we can go with our personality, which is really the same thing as ego. So eclipse season is a time, I think, where the personality or the ego starts to crack a little bit uh, for more light or for more, you know, soul to come through. And so this can be immensely um, confusing or kind of destabilizing or uncomfortable, but also quite enriching. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the something I want to lead in with. But eclipse season as a vibe is a little bit like the bottom dropping out, a little dose of chaos. Um, one of my astrology teachers, Rosie Finn, and I'll link an interview that we had um, a few years ago about eclipses below. Um, Rosie taught me that eclipses are a time where our soul work gets amplified in our life. And this makes sense, of course, because the lunar nodes in a natal chart relate a lot to our, our work, our dharma, our karma in this incarnation. It's not unusual during eclipse season to feel like a lot of elements, contingencies, possibilities, potentials are dusted into the air. And we're not sure what is going to settle or if certain things are going to settle. This can highlight our need to, you know, or our compulsion really to grasp onto forms of security or try to lock things down. 
Um, but there's a major opportunity here to notice our security drives and impulses. So let's look at this too. Let's say there's all of these things in the air. Part of manifestation is grabbing onto a potential and bringing it down to earth. Like you have ideas running through your mind and you're like, cool, I'm going to actually write that one down. Right. But let's say you have a lot of anxious thoughts <laughs> floating around your sphere. When you grab onto one of them and bring it down to earth and identify with it, you're creating karma with that. So I think that when things are floating in the air like that, it's actually an opportunity to pause and notice, hmm, what am I creating karma with? Um, and let's say there are things that are floating in the air that we want or that we desire, right? And we're trying to uh, grip them. There is a way that um, that can be not conducive to actually being in relationship to that which we are trying to connect with. So I'm not saying to just do nothing and let everything float in the air and not be attached to any of it. Not that, but to consider where things are floating, what kind of pieces are um, up in the air right now for you, your relationship with manifesting them and connecting with them and bringing them down to earth versus grasping and clinging and having more of that needy or greedy kind of energy that sense of, I, I need this to be okay, or I must have this versus, you know, I would like this and yeah, I want to be in relationship to this thing, right? There's different energetics there. Um, on another note, you know, similar to kind of eclipse season energy, and I track this every time there's eclipses that it's a, it's a more, um, emotional time because our soul work comes up. And so, the things that ordinarily might mm, register at some level of irritation or discontent become a lot larger so that we can uh, experience catharsis or transformation through our actual life circumstances. And so it might not even be that the things that are happening, like they may be dramatic events in of themselves, or it may be simple things that get blown up to a larger proportion. So the other night I had the opportunity to notice myself being activated and triggered by something in my experience. Um, and this desire to, in a sense, run away from it or immediately kind of dissolve it by soothing the feeling or doing some kind of transformative, you know, EFT tapping, um, breath work, movement. Like I was ready to just kind of um, burn it off. And then I realized that here I am having this high sensation and I'm wanting to get rid of it as soon as possible. What if I just am with it? Because I, I started to feel like this thing isn't going away. I know this one, I know this pattern. So I'm going to sit with it and sit in this fire. So I just sat in the pain and went all the way into it. And I started to, uh, have it, it showed me things and taught me things uh, the voices from others I'd internalized, my stories, my beliefs, my narratives, my patterns. And I was kind of narrating out loud what I was discovering and realizing. And I was just like in this alchemical fire. Um, and then it moved. Then the energy moved. I saw though an underbelly of my experience that I often try to avoid or run away from. But here it was knocking at my door again. And I could recognize that like, oh, you're familiar. You're here again. Um, calling my name and asking me to listen to it and learn with it. And so, you know, for me, it's often been a great support to know that it's eclipse season because eclipse season is when those things tend to happen. And I can recognize like, oh, I am extra activated, but can I, um, can I go into this? Can I be in the ceremony of this opening experience. Jupiter entering Pisces and Venus joining up with the North Node in Gemini are immensely positive um, and full of potential. Like those transits, I'm just like standing over, I guess. <laughs> These transits remind me of a kind of energetic law. However, that's already operating in our systems and bodies under any astrology, which is that when we're presented with a newer level of blessing or abundance in our life, 
we also meet our fears and our edges of receptivity, the edges of our capacity to receive. So when we deepen our compassion as well, for example, we also deepen and expand our range to touch pain that we couldn't hold before. We didn't have the love to hold it. So love and pleasure are not escapes from life. They actually open us up to more presence and more sensation with life. Um, And when I first began to experience this energetic as a direct experience, I didn't have the intellectual construct to go with it, you know? So it would be like falling in love and all of the, um, creepy, crawly, like parts of my inner being coming up to the surface, like, oh, fuck, (laughs) I have a lot of fear or, you know, that kind of thing. And even just in my um, consciousness experience in my early adulthood of um, entering peak experiences or joyful states on purpose and really having to confront all the the boogeymen (laughs) that come out who are like, wait, you can't be this happy. what about us, you know? And so I've started to notice that there's a, the more love that is present in a situation, the more, uh, range of all experiences we can hold. And so in a sense, we kind of need to be prepared for that. I don't think it goes any other way, nor do I think it ought to. Right. And I think that that's kind of the main critique of the whole love and light culture um, is it's kind of prioritizing of the light um, above all else when actually the light is what um, shines and makes visible everything that was in shadow before. So same with love, like love does bring stuff up and that's why I think being um, being loving and opening our hearts is also an act of courage because it does face us with things. So I love this astrology for the opening, um, that it speaks to more love, more trust and surrender, uh, more dissolving into the truth, you know, trusting that, uh, noticing where we are, you know, manipulative or lying or trying to kind of contort things because we're in scarcity mindset and what it's like to actually just be with the truth and trust that the truth is a thread that is carrying our life in an inspired direction. Um, and I also recognize that opening is vulnerable and it takes courage and strength to be open and to open. Eclipse season is a beautiful time to observe the ways that life is directly touching or even penetrating the ego and touching the soul. It is an initiatory and magical season that without the astrology, we might just say it's a normal calendar day in May, but it's really not. Um, It's a ceremony. Eclipses favor our capacity to unravel ourselves into deeper layers and levels of truth more than eclipse season would support us to add another layer or buffer on top of the truth. The snake sheds its skin, you know, it, there's an unraveling that's happening more than there is an adding on. Um, so knowing that this is the field that we're working with, the vibe that we're working with, take note of where life is simply showing you yourself and presenting you with the opportunity to unravel and surrender more. There is a slipstream we can find ourselves in when we are not hiding anything, when we just are, that it's so much easier to let creativity and source energy flow through us because we're not blocking it or obstructing it with a bunch of extra stuff, a bunch of extra ego programs that aren't supportive, that aren't in alignment with the truth. And it doesn't mean that the unraveling process is comfortable. It's, it's not oftentimes, um, just that it's ultimately sacred and a type of homecoming that is certainly being highlighted right now. So I'm going to go into our week in extra detail, transit by transit, and just want to take a moment to, um, 
you know, I have less announcements this week. The intensive, the evolutionary astrology intensive is currently in session. Uh, my books are currently closed. Um, so you'll have to stay tuned for opportunities to work and study with me and there will be more. Um, but I'm very full right now. Um, however, the garden of sleeping hammers, my fiction novel is coming out and, um, I will be announcing that and I would really love, um, some press opportunities or interviews. Um, so anyone who's connected to the literary community, um, or you have a platform that may be related to some of the topics of the book, um, please reach out, send me an email, Sabrina at monarchastrology.com. I would really love help, um, promoting and sharing the book. Um, it's so close to my heart and something, um, that I'm really excited to share. And if you want to hear the first two chapters, you can tune into episode 103 of Magic of the Spheres podcast um, to hear uh, me reading those chapters and you can get a sense of where the story is going and what this novel is about. Okay. Here's our week in more detail. May 12th, 2021, Mercury in 13 degrees of Gemini will try and Saturn in 13 degrees of Aquarius at 11.33 a.m. Pacific. So we have uh, Mercury and Saturn in air signs harmonizing. The trine is harmonic. Mercury relating to the mind, our thoughts, our communications, and Saturn relating to structure and parameter and standards. I really like this one, you know, as I was looking at it, because most weeks I, I find some way to slip in here, uh, that there's different kind of radio stations of consciousness. So if I am tuning into a type of consciousness that is punitive in nature, that is, um, persecuting in nature, and I'm tuned into that radio station and I'm just going about my day. When I make a mistake, I'm going to be quite more cruel and belligerent to myself about that mistake because I'm tuning into the persecutor frequency, right? Um, frequencies are something that I think are amazing to develop energetic mastery with. So as you tune into a frequency of love or a frequency of conscientiousness or tenderness, you might go about your day, um, and still take care and be in touch with your integrity and moral compass without having to self-flagellate <laughs> to get yourself there. So I think this is important to think about with Saturn because um, Saturn is often misrepresented as this kind of mean daddy kind of energy <laughs> when that's just one way that we could relate to it. But Mercury-Saturn contacts generally relate to careful and cautious or sober thinking, criticism and critique, um, or building an argument or case or perspective on solid and thoughtful evidence. So this is choosing our words too, not sending a super long wordy communication per se, uh, but getting right to the point. With Mercury and a trine to Saturn, some of these dynamics may be occurring effortlessly or easefully at the moment. Saturn and Aquarius could be likened to a well-constructed channel. A channel here simply being a vessel for information. Aquarius is the water bearer, the, you know, the pouring of water. So everyone has the capacity to be a channel when they tune into a certain frequency and take steps to become receptive to that certain frequency. For example, the person who writes in a dream diary every morning finds themselves having more dreams and having more dream recall. The act of recording the dreams was also an act of strengthening their dream channel. When um, I was writing the novel that's coming out, um, I bought a desk and designed my room to facilitate the experience of being a novelist because I knew that that kind of energetic environment would be much more supportive than say, um, like for me at least, I didn't want to write the drafts like in a cafe or something like that. I wanted my creative sanctuary. So understanding how channels work is a key to energetic mastery. For a person who idly complains, for example, the chronic complainer will often have uh, 
they'll be presented more things to complain about because that's the radio station that they're tuned into. That's the ego program that they're running. And the universe is like, okay, cool. Here's more stuff to complain about. And while in the mind, it may be valid to keep complaining about how terrible everything is. Um, it's, it's just a part of, you know, a self-perpetuating reality. Um, and people who complain a lot don't necessarily like to hear that, <laughs> which um, it's not often even feedback that I would give to someone directly per se. Um, I'm not that, you know, it's something I maybe talk a little bit more about in the abstract um, or would say directly to someone who really wanted to know. But oftentimes people that complain a lot um, are also not desiring to take personal accountability for the situations that they're in and would be uh, upset to be challenged uh, in that kind of way. So you can see kind of how they create a program around themselves that keeps them stuck in where they're at. Um, unless there is that desire to break through and have a difference of perspective um, and to run different kinds of personality programs, in which case um, so many of the teachings about manifestation or creating our own reality could come into play. So another thing to note here is that at the social, collective, external level, there are influences and realities at play. Like there is a, a world, there is an external um, and a potential for liberation exists within Saturn and Aquarius, which is how we organize our consciousness to be as free as possible while also being connected to the game and the conditions of life. As free as possible while also being connected to the game and conditions of life. So this can go a lot of different ways. In part, what I'm saying here is that it's not a freedom that completely overrides or invalidates our actual experience. So for me, when I have tapped into thought forms around, oh, my life would be better if my conditions were different or if something different had happened in my childhood um, or if I had different physical features, etc., and that puts me at war with what is objectively, you know, what's happened in my life or what situations or circumstances I'm working with versus getting into the mindset of this is the avatar I'm in. How do I play with the conditions that I have? Positive and negative conditions, right? And that type of thinking gets us into the gameplay. Um, and so just as we integrate the soul and or our higher self into basic day-to-day -day activities and our personality, right? So if you have a spiritual awakening or if you experience a unitive sense of love with all beings and all things, and then you come back to reality, like how are you going to take that elevated consciousness into how you take care of your plants um, or how you have a honest and difficult conversation with a friend, um, or how you take care of your body. Like there's all these different places where we can integrate our cosmic perspective. Um, and we also integrate as individuals into society and into community. Like here I am, this is my identity and how do I integrate? Or how does my integration with my community affect my identity? There's a, a reciprocity there. Um, Aquarius relates to both the complex social arts or the complex social arts of both separating from the consensus reality, like everyone thinks this way, but I don't connect with that. And I'm going to go over here and try something else. And this separates me from everything I've ever known. And also integrating back into the consensus reality, like, hey, I just came back from this journey, this travel, this mystical experience, and I learned some things and I want to share it. And who, who are my people to share this with? Who do I connect with? So I think Aquarius really holds within it the question of our needs for conformity and our needs for individuation and how we balance the two. Certain freedoms are available to us if only we take personal responsibility for them back on what I was saying earlier. So something to be aware of during this harmonious trine between fluid, flexible, magician, 
Mercury in Gemini, this very quick-witted placement, and Saturn in Aquarius, this channel, this um, the structure of consciousness with Saturn in Aquarius, um, is to observe how reality reflects our thoughts and beliefs and our narratives. If we don't like our current experience, it's time to trace that experience to the thoughts that seeded it to track any way that we have personally participated with the situation because that is where our power and sovereignty to create a new story is. And at the collective level, um, that level of authenticity and being connected to our source, being connected to, you know, our highest level of gameplay in this incarnation actually inspires people around us and is part of what creates culture. You know, culture is a conglomeration of individuals. So as we really get in touch with our, our essence and our power and our dharma, it changes the world around us too. So in short, <laughs> Mercury and Gemini trine Saturn and Aquarius, I think, you know, could be a supportive influence for really getting a conceptual um new clarity or new sobriety about how we are involved in creating the forms in our life, the consequences and the conditions that we experience, how we take part in them, how we participate with them, and if we want to adjust how we play that game. When I open for um, coaching clients, again, this is the kind of thing I love to work with people individually on is um, how to navigate your life with greater levels of freedom based on working with your thoughts. And the natal chart, of course, <laughs> huge avenue into understanding the self. And then that same day, we have sun in 22 degrees of Taurus, sextile Neptune in 22 degrees of Pisces at 1045 p.m., and a transit like this sun sextile neptune taurus pisces you know it speaks to me of the experience of the sublime exquisite moments of vision magic or a fluttering of the veil you know i think this background lets me like flutter the veil a little bit it doesn't work exactly thought like if i move my hand fast enough you can see what's behind the screen <laughs> not so much i want to stop um, but life enchants us with images and scents and textures that bring us to an awe-filled presence, especially if we look, if we look for it. The sun relates to our capacity to perceive by shining light on something. So it's turning on a light in a room. It's turning on our awareness, our consciousness, our attention. So when you turn a light on in a dark room, you can now see individual objects parsed apart that were before hazily merged together in the dark. That is part of the sun's connection to linear objective reason, the capacity to see something as it is, quote, as it is. However, the quality of the sun's light is not necessarily objective. It could be tinted. It is often tinted like choosing a specific color light bulb. Herein is the opportunity to be creators in this reality, to be intentional about the tint of our perspective. Now let's just say too, there's something about the sun and the idea of objectivity that can be liberating, it can be intensely clarifying, clarifying and illuminating in a positive sense of the word. And it is also potentially objectifying or a form of, can you explain how you know that? Can you explain your intuition and that sense of really um, devaluing the mystery or the lunar world uh, in favor of the empirical truth? Um, and that is a form of, um, it's not always kind or necessary, right? So it's nice to think about all the planets and their full range of expression and really think about what our relationship is um, with illumination and shining light on things um, and also feeling through the dark, going on a night hike under the moonlight with no other light but that. And when is it appropriate to be in a solar consciousness and when is it appropriate to feel into the lunar, right? Something to think about. 
But here with Sun Neptune, I think there's this opportunity to put on the proverbial rose tinted glasses, um, but to even just be intentional about our tint to our perspective. And this kind of consciousness game is nuanced. It could be used to evade or not see certain truths, blinders. Um, however, certain filters are true for us to see through, to do our service or our work in the world. Um, like a person whose dharma involves being an artist to see the beauty in the world. Right? I mean, imagine the peaceful potentials of masses of people choosing to see the world through a compassionate and loving lens at deeper and deeper layers of authenticity and truth. Who's to say what is? I think, you know, love is the ultimate truth. So that, so that, um, but if the lens is in service, you know, so if you have an intention or a perspective tint by which you'd like to see and participate with the world, you can do that. This week, I've been reminded of the importance of gratitude and how tuning into the frequency and that frequency and seeing the world through that frequency rests so pleasurably in my nervous system and actually increases abundance. I've been doing this as soon as I get overwhelmed or anxious um, or just tired and drained. I tune into my heart space, maybe close my eyes and just like genuinely offer up gratitude. And then I feel energy come back to my system because love and gratitude are high frequencies, right? So it actually energizes me at those low moments um, and connects me back to my spirit. So that's a perspective tint. Uh, because feeling victimized by life and feeling overwhelmed is also a tint. And if I stay in that zone, I might spiral to places that I'd rather not be. So we're dreamers in this reality and choosing how we see is a form of lucid creativity. Something to be aware of. And at an additional level of skillfulness, when we choose to see reality through a tinted lens, so to say, we may also have to be open to being disillusioned and still keeping the faith or devotion in a truer way or changing course if needed. For example, I can choose to keep an open heart and see the world through that open heart, even if that means being with the truth that a particular connection related to my open heart may not work out as much as I wanted it to, or rested my hopes or my opening on it. And I can still keep my heart open there with that truth, with the tenderness of my desire, um, and with other emerging opportunities to be in connection with life. If we're too rigid about how we want everything to play out and how we think it should be, um, and we're not willing to also be penetrated and altered by life, then we may be misusing that tinted lens. So May 13th, 2021, the big day, Jupiter enters Pisces at 3.36 p.m. Jupiter will stay in Pisces until Jupiter retrogrades back into Aquarius, July 28th, 2021 through December 28th, 2021. And then Jupiter will be back in Pisces at the, you know, basically 2022 and will stay in Pisces until May 10th of 2022. It's really kind of like buzzing through there quickly and a little bit of a, of a retrograde into Aquarius. But we have until July, the end of July, to experience Jupiter and Pisces right now. And a transit like Jupiter and Pisces really speaks to spiritual awakening, spiritual opportunity, celebration, and big opportunity. I don't know if I just said that twice. Um, if our lives are aligned, or if our lives are already swelling in a direction of aligned momentum, and we feel in touch with our truth, we're already in a practice, in a space, this time period can feel like a multiplying of blessings. Mm -hmm. 
So essentially what I mean by this, I don't mean this in a judgmental sense of like, oh, if you're good, this transit will be good to you. And if you've been bad, this transit won't be fun. To clarify, imagine being like living your best life or like you're kind of in your slipstream of purpose and there's less for you to account for in terms of being obstructed. Um, If you're doing a lot of things in your life that aren't true to you, and a lot of things in your life don't feel aligned, then there's more like house cleaning to do. And when a big transit comes through like Jupiter and Pisces, it kind of shows shows that dissonance. I find Jupiter transits um, have that quality to them where they do bring opportunities, but they also bring truth bombs. And that can be challenging. Um, But let's come back to this, uh, this time period of multiplied blessings. It gives me an image of a person approaching a large crowd at an outdoor concert and realizing that all of these people are their family and they love them all so much. I was thinking too of like a dog's enthusiasm to see a person that they love, uh, but multiplied for all these hundreds or thousands of people. So think of that excitement, that enthusiasm, just like, whoa, super amplified. Um, These peak moments of spiritual ecstasy where all of our cells are ringing in celebration. It's like an energy that's felt inside the body, but it's also much larger than the body. Um, It's kind of like a fountain just gushing and like spilling over. Like there's that high pleasurable energy, but it's also like, there's so much of it and it's just washing. So this kind of energy confronts us with the opportunity to be open to receive as well as to be open to let things pass through us without holding on to them because it's just washing over us and it's literally too big to hold. It's just opening us to be more receptive to the fluidity of life. I do not always see Jupiter transits as easy. The rush of cosmic juicy energy with Jupiter and Pisces could also touch parts of ourselves or our lives that clearly aren't aligned with the truth. Um, Or it's becoming apparent that something that once was true to us is changing. You never step in the same river twice kind of thing. Consider that same ecstatic image of the outdoor party, but viewing it from inside a tower with barred windows. Sometimes the presence of ecstasy or massive opportunity shows us the places where we are not open to receive or we're currently engaging with karmas that we feel too entrenched in and must address. So wherever you're at, I mean, trust in the ceremony and the perfection of this current moment in time and the opportunity to be um, awakened by this really big cosmic Jupiter and Pisces energy. I think that the journey of Jupiter and Pisces will be like finding out and discovering how we relate to this flush of cosmic party wonderment energy. Like the party is happening now. And how are we going to relate to this dream image? It reminds me of films that are based on one night or like one life changing party. Like this is the night. The party takes unexpected turns, becomes archetypal and becomes a theater for people to really transcend their previous limitations and give new life to an emerging aspect of themselves. Part of working with Jupiter or people who have big Jupiter energy, you know, already natally or by choice, because you can tap into any frequency. um, It's expecting and anticipating good things. And by virtue of that, actually manifesting them. While others might be like, you know, eh, time to turn in and go home. I'm done. The Jupiterian knows that something amazing is about to happen and they stay available for it. And something magical does appear in the space that one has made. Of course, one could go home and enter a magical paradise of their own. Um, if that's calling them, the point is staying open to the unfolding adventure and staying open to the play. You know, even for me with the at home imagery, I've been tracking the energetic of when I want to just kind of tune out 
and like, mm, just, I don't know, like watch something on Netflix, which is fine. You know, it can be relaxing. Um, and it can be a moment to just kind of like chill or do I want to keep, keep the expansion going? Do I want to take lucid dreaming tea, third eye tonic before bed, which I have been doing, um, or keep creating deep into the night and just, um, be with that. And for me personally, I go through different phases of being more animated, right. And then other phases of being more, um, insular or kind of like in a seed form, but just sometimes I watch myself getting to make that choice and at least choosing it of like, okay, tonight I'm tuning out or, you know, when I watch Netflix, I still get a lot out of it, (laughs) but I'm, I'm going into this experience or I'm going to keep the party going and, and do something expansive, even though I'm just at home with myself and little rant. So this would be a fantastic time to exercise your optimism and your belief in a better experience, a better day, a better encounter, a better world, a better universe. I love, love, love visualization. Okay. Like visualization is big. Um, I almost don't understand why more people aren't talking about it. And I know like a lot of people, a lot of, um, athletes or business people, uh, highly successful people will talk about using visualization as a tool. Um, but imagining how you want something to go before it happens and even getting into, you know, I was talking to someone about, um, they're kind of struggling with writer's block. And I was like, have you tried visualization? And they were like, you mean like the finished project or the finished product? And I was like, no, like sitting at your desk and feeling all this energy rush into you of inspiration, feeling like the wind (laughs) behind you, feeling like the words flow through you, like even just imagining that before it happens. And so finding all those subtle crevices uh, of our experience where we want to imagine a different outcome. Um, I do this sometimes before phone conversations of like, what kind of energy do I want to encounter and visualize that? So try it out. (laughs) And it's a practice too, you know, like when you, when you come into life with that level of optimism, or even when you just go out for a wander or go to the park or something, and you're anticipating amazing things happening, you do enter a different slipstream at that point. And that's Jupiter, that's Pisces. And I think that those movies of one night, you know, one wild night, (laughs) they're coming to me for the moment. Um, They're coming to me like, I have to fix what I wrote here. For the moment, there's just this one night. Can you dissolve into it? Can you merge with the deeper emerging celebration of all that there is? Can you go all the way into your emotions and transform them with your presence, your movement, your being with that energy? Can you say yes to life so entirely? So the party as an image um, really came through with Jupiter and Pisces. And even if we're not at a literal party all the time, I think that there is an element of life, um, a motif of it being a party and there's all these different rooms and some of the rooms, some really dramatic stuff is going down. Right. Um, or these kind of interruptive scenes can happen, but ultimately there is still this party. There is still this big celebration and how do we connect and relate to that thrumming vibrancy of life that is right there. And all we just have to do is, is jump into it. Or very consciously go back to our (laughs) um, hermitages uh, and be with ourselves at any moment that we need to recharge. You know, infinite ways to relate to the party image. May 17th, 2021. The sun in 26 degrees of Taurus will try and Pluto retrograde in 26 degrees of Capricorn at 2.48 a.m. Pacific. And Neptune in 22 degrees of Pisces is roughly at the midpoint of this Sun-Pluto trine. So we have a Sun-Neptune-Pluto thing going. Um, Consider the Sun-Neptune, you know, sublime thing that I was just talking about that's happening earlier in the week. 
So the creative concerns of the sun and Pluto, both in earth signs harmonizing, may have something to do with the practical, material, tangible matters. Things like money, food, physical health, home design, fashion, or anything where we bring an idea or non-physical form down to earth, grounding it. The earth element is more dense than air, fire, or water. It can relate then to things that take longer to build and also longer to dissipate. Taurus is a fixed earth sign relating to stuck or stagnant patterns in our body and psyche, as well as the gardens that we cultivate. So fixed forms that we want, you know, to be thriving for long periods of time and things like our relationship with our body, self-esteem, wealth, pleasure, and so on. You know, if you really tune into the fixity of Taurus, you can see how some of our most challenging parts to our self-esteem are deeply rooted patterns, right? That go so deep and our deep wells to explore and discover. And the cultivation of self-esteem is also a matter of consistent showing up and tending and being with over and over again until that energy becomes so large because it's been tended to over and over and over. We can feel very pleasantly engrossed in earthly matters and projects, so merged, so connected, as well as perhaps burdened by the heaviness of being pinned down to earth, have all this work to do. These projects take so much time and energy, I hardly have time to do anything else. I don't have time to think about other things I want to do. I'm just doing these things that I've committed to, like that kind of heavy burden. Or just being, you know, joyfully in the dirt. It may be important to remember, considering the transpersonal influences of both Neptune and Pluto involved here, that there are always doorways and gateways between the purely concrete and physical and the energetic and emotional. We can turn our tangible activities into moving prayers just by pausing and setting the intention. So even if you're stuck, if you're engrossed, if you're doing a thing and you're starting to feel emotion that's challenging to consider it a prayer, to offer that experience as prayer. Um, bringing that into the potentially mundane. And even if it's not something that you're doing that's particularly earthy, like even if you're just driving and feeling stuck and stagnant emotions and you're in a mood and you can't shake it, let that be a prayer. Like let that be a ceremony. Um, the Pluto sun thing is really kind of like drumming up those like ancient embedded <laughs> tensions. And so it's not just something necessarily that we just kind of like have uh, breezily kind of dust off. Like sometimes we do have to kind of like sit with it. And then Venus in 10 degrees of Gemini will be conjunct the lunar North node in 10 degrees of Gemini at 1 38 PM Pacific planets conjunct the North node of the moon relate to what is presently incoming. So a flood of energy incarnating to form on earth. So how nice to have Venus incarnate. Uh, the North node itself has that incoming energy. So while the North node has been in Gemini, we've been reviewing our beliefs and opinions, re, you know, South node and Sagittarius, and have had many opportunities to engage new ideas, Gemini, that might freshen up our perspective. Something particularly magical about this time that I've noticed is that when we really drop into connected conversations with a variety of people and keyword connected, you know, not, um, thinking about being somewhere else or kind of dissociating, but like dropping in and connecting, which can mean even addressing some of the dissonances or the tensions, um, right. But whatever it means, whatever it takes to be connected, or to change course if that connection isn't there, isn't true, right? But just being in connection, that's where the magic is, um, especially when we're talking about Venus. But in these conversations, synchronicities and connections will naturally emerge that we could have not found if we were focused on a perspective, uh, focused our perspective singularly on one source of information. It's like through being with the chorus or the whole symphony that we notice the 
gestalt or pulse of the entire song at the moment. And we have to kind of tune in individually with all these different um, ensemble members to, to get the sense of the whole. Gemini has a really strong pollinator energy to me. Um, bees, butterflies, uh, through engaging with variety and splicing ideas from different worlds and sources together, you know, and uh, taking or, you know, feeding on pollen from a bunch of different flowers, making honey, this like com- this final kind of result of all of that information, right? Gemini pollinates. Gemini builds bridges between worlds through communication and being able to navigate entirely different worlds from one moment to the next. So we can often judge Gemini or Gemini experience as being so scattered, you know, and sometimes it can be, but that quality of following the authenticity of the moment to moment, this fascinates me, this fascinates me, this fascinates me, right? And engaging with those things, there's often a a final kind of mix up that Gemini creates from all of that experience. It's also like all the random adventures that we have in life and we don't know what we're doing. And then all of a sudden we see our life purpose and it's a conglomerate of all of these different little experiences we had that we didn't know were connected. You know, that's what Gemini does. And I feel, um, there's just a, there's a way to skillfully navigate that kind of way of being while also being connected to integrity, um, or one's truth or things like that. Um, but I find that there's definitely, you know, that in conjunct tension to Capricorn of wanting things to be like linear on time, do the right thing. (laughs) This is the structure, you know, and Gemini just doesn't operate that way. So anyway, You may be noticing at this time that if you tune into connection, which is a principle of Venus and Venus is here uh, in Gemini and conjunct the North Node, uh, more often than not, if you're tuning into this connection and following the thread, life is presenting you with clues and signposts everywhere you go. You may not be able to decipher the clues in the moment, but as the story builds, you notice um, that it was only because you had a particular conversation yesterday, for example, that you are attuned to notice the opportunity knocking at your door today. So something here too about following the thread of connection, I'll give you an example on social media. Some people never post on social media because they feel like they have to have a complete gem, like a compact, here's everything, it's final, here you go. Um, And Sometimes even just verbalizing, like, I don't know what to say, or I'm feeling disconnected from my voice and letting that be witnessed. And the sequence of events that happens after that opens up a connection that then connects a person back to their voice. It's more process oriented. It's more about being with the thread of the connection to the truth at the moment, as opposed to feeling like you need everything figured out now. Right. So I find this, um, with creative blocks as well, where you, you write something you think is terrible and you are sitting with the discontent of that. And then something emerges, um, as opposed to not writing at all, because you know that the first part is going to be crunchy. I think Gemini, you know, and Mercury, as Jason Hawley says with Mercury, Mercury's agenda is to keep the story going. So not pausing and stalling the story, but actually just being with what's true naming it, and then it moving from that place. This comes up in relationship as well, in terms of naming the energetics, naming how you feel, communicating, and allow that allowing the relationship to continue moving forward, even if that is the reveal that their relationship isn't true. At least things have been named and put out into the open, so we're not just fooling around and like not telling the truth here that kind of thing. Um, and I think that that's maybe part of, you know, Gemini's like both charm in terms of being so flexible to new perspectives. And also maybe the fear that we can have around Gemini is like, but I want things to stay solid. I don't want things to change all the time. And Gemini really bringing a lot of that. Um, I'll stop there. 
Uh, Be mindful about where life and truth and connection are asking you to be more flexible. Sometimes a plan is very true and it is true to stick to it regardless of the um, turbulence along the way. And other times it's just an agenda that obscures the truth of the unfolding moment. How do you know? Well, that's a whole game of self-knowledge and self-trust and intuition and aligning with your soul practice here. It's the game that we're playing. Um, Potentially, you know, even getting out of the idea that there's one right path or this is right, this is wrong um, and feeling into it's all choice here. So how are you going to play? Where are you being encouraged to be more flexible and to allow for flow? I think that's a, a huge energy that's coming in with Venus and Gemini conjunct the North Node. And then on May 18th, 2021, Venus in 11 degrees of Gemini will sextile Chiron in 11 degrees of Aries at 4.44 a.m. Pacific. And this one, it was interesting to look at because at the moment of this Venus-Chiron alignment, Saturn in 13 degrees of Aquarius will oppose the moon in 12 degrees of Leo. And so it's forming a trine between Saturn and Venus and a trine between Chiron and the moon and sextiles between Venus and the moon and Chiron and Saturn. So there was just this kind of click, 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 click of like all of these four placements kind of equidistant from each other and all harmonizing except the sun or the Saturn moon opposition being maybe what we call, you know, the hard aspect. So here are some thoughts about this harmonic alignment of this Venus sextile Chiron transit and this interesting alignment all around it. What strikes me here is an opening to explore our innocence, not a masked innocence where we turn the other way from something, but an inner authenticity or cleanness that can emerge when we have reconciled with some deeper truths within ourselves and can touch into something core and true. So when we can just be transparent and clean in that transparency and the innocent quality of that at the same time. One energetic as an example could be the armoring that one creates after experiencing a broken heart rather than accepting the grief um, or being with the pain fully, deciding that one's going to rise above it and just become better. And I didn't need them anyway, you know, all of that. And while this kind of mindset may enable some forward momentum in that regard, it also sidelines or suppresses the tenderness of the hurt part of ourselves. And if we are actually in relationship with that level of vulnerability and can love it, you know, Chiron does relate to wounding experiences, it may open doors to reconciliation that stays in touch with the heart and the tenderness of life. So here I'm saying that that kind of attitude of like, oh, I didn't need them anyway. I didn't actually love them, you know, coming up with any kind of way to mask ourselves from the vulnerability of that pain is a form of masking as opposed to just being with it truly. So whatever the pattern is that you tend to play out personally, look for the opportunity to love the deeper thing as opposed to the tough self that masks it. I mean, you can love the tough self too, but loving the deeper thing and letting that um, mask unravel. I think this alignment of planets is really a unique opportunity to love a puffed up version of ourselves back into humility and connection. So this was a lot for this week. Um, I'm glad to have connected with you in the intermittent kind of hiatus situation and to also let you know that that's what's happening in case you just follow me on YouTube and didn't know why I had, why I had been gone. Um, I, you know, invite you to get on my mailing list, uh, linked below or to follow me on social media at Sabrina Monarch on Instagram, uh, to just stay in the know about the forecasts, um, especially the mailing list and the mailing list is a great way to um, find out about upcoming courses and when my books open and things of this nature. Um, and of course the garden of sleeping hammers is coming out soon. And I'm really excited to share that with you. 
So I'm going to leave it here and just say thank you for joining me this week um, to look into the astrology of this eclipse season moment leading up to the full moon eclipse coming up May 26th, Jupiter entering Pisces, Venus on the North Node. Um, There was just a lot to share, so I wanted to come back here for that. And I hope that you have a beautiful, blessed unraveling. Much love.